Welcome to episode 60 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll highlight government's favorite feel-good topic, affordable housing, and how government itself created the crisis and how we should respond. Let's get right into it with our host, Tammy Fisher. Hi, folks. Today, we're going to talk about housing. It's a hot topic in Montana and across the nation. Every medium and large town in Montana is trying to address the issue. And rather than work to lower the cost of housing, some local city councils just continue to dig deeper holes. The hypocrisy of blaming developers for affordable housing issues while implementing regulations that do nothing but create barriers to affordable housing needs to be highlighted. Because there are some cities in Montana that have gone straight wackadoo telling the community they are working to address affordable housing while in fact doing the exact opposite with every new regulation they implement. But first, let's talk about why we have an affordable housing problem to begin with. Here's an example. My grandfather built his house in Great Falls for $6,000. He didn't have access to a bank loan. He found a piece of land. It was two and a half city lots at the time and paid $1,500 for it, all the money that he and my grandmother had in 1950. He then borrowed $3,000 from his friend's mother to begin to build the house. He couldn't qualify for a bank loan because the bank loan requirements were so restrictive then. He worked for the Great Northern Railroad at the time, and he used the lumber from old boxcars to frame his house. He worked on it every night until they had a ramshackle roof and walls and then continued to work on it so they had plumbing and electricity eventually. And he didn't take another loan until the first $3,000 was paid off. Then he borrowed another $3,000 from his friend's mother to finish the house. It was 1,400 square feet with three bedrooms and one bathroom. It still stands that way today. So by 1953, my grandparents had a complete house for $6,000. And the only time they ever took out a mortgage on that house was in 1968, when my Uncle Tom went to college at Montana Tech, and they bought carpet. Carpet was a big deal then, because they had all wood flooring that my grandfather had hand laid. So they carpeted the whole house, sent Uncle Tom to Montana Tech, and I think the whole mortgage that they took out was about $3,000. And they never had another mortgage. So why is it that in 1950, they could build a house for $6,000 and never have a mortgage? Well, let's talk about how that came to be. The price of homes today is outrageous and continues to climb. Why? Number of factors, but cheap money is one of them. We have very cheap money right now in terms of interest rates. When interest rates are at 3 to 4%, your dollar goes farther. And when the economy is overheated, where everyone who wants a job can get a job, that gives the employed a feeling of stability. They are ready to move out of their parents' basements. They don't want to be stacked like cordwood in cities. They, too, want the American dream. So people are flush with cash, and money is cheap. So demand goes high, as do home prices. Now, that's a function of the private sector and free markets, and pricing is a function of supply and demand. We currently have low supply and high demand, but pricing is also a function of interest rates, and pricing is essentially set 
on monthly affordability rather than an overall component of income or an estate. So if you make $45,000 a year, you can probably afford a maximum monthly payment on your mortgage of about $1,300. At 3% interest, that means you can buy a home listed at $300,000. Now remember, folks, unless you're paying all cash for a house, the list price isn't at all what you pay for the house. It's just a starting point for your loan. If you take a 30-year loan out at 3% on a $300,000 house, well, you will actually pay $456,000 for that home by the time it's paid off. So this list price number is just an illusion unless you pay all cash for a home. All right. So now with that basic math, if the majority of folks can afford a $300,000 list price home, that means demand for that type of home goes way up. And when people clamor for that home, it sets a cascade effect in motion. So to edge out their friends and buying the same home, they borrow, say, another $20,000 from a family member so they can bid $320,000 on that home that was listed for $300,000 so they can beat out their competitors to buy the house. And when that happens, the market moves and a $300,000 home is now listed for $320,000. And then the next guy borrows $40,000 from grandma to edge out his competitors for the $320,000 house. And now the price point moves to $340,000. So now we are in a heated competition where the $300,000 house becomes a $450,000 house just due to competition for the product, the house. Okay, that's how people, how human behavior drives pricing in a free market. Now, the housing market is not a totally free market. Why? Well, because the government got involved. The government decided to get in on the housing game a long time ago, and that was helpful for some of us. But by and large, their leap into housing has caused the price of the good, the home, to skyrocket. The U.S. government underwrites Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, which means the government guarantees that banks who make mortgage loans will be paid if you default. Holy schmoly, that's a great deal for banks. And that gave great access to mortgages by your regular Joe Schmo Montanans who otherwise could not meet the terms that small banks required to loan money. But now with the government guarantee, game on. We went from 10-year mortgages to 30-year mortgages within a minute or two. Can you believe that? And now with a 30-year mortgage, with the cost spread out over time, Well, that caused the price of the good, the home, to skyrocket. Because if you can afford $1,200 a month on a 10-year mortgage at 3%, that would buy you a $125,000 house. But at 30 years, well, that's a $300,000 house. And remember, folks, it's monthly income and monthly expense that banks look at. So now the working poor seemingly would become the middle class who can afford to move up. Or so they thought, because they didn't really move up because the price of housing moved up with them. So that $125,000 home became magically, due to government underwriting and demand, a $300,000 home. And what is, say, my grandparents' home in Great Falls worth today? That $6,000 home? About $230,000. So when government got involved, it allowed more people to have more access to the American dream, but it also artificially caused an escalation in prices. 
because the regulations were pulled back and Wall Street got involved. And when in 1950, to get a loan, you had to have 50% down payments. We ended up in 2007 with 100% loans, no down payment, and you didn't even have to prove your income. So the pendulum has swung both ways, both bad for the economy. And we got kind of back to normalcy in 2013, but the economy was heating up again. And a heated economy is great until it overheats. And when the heat is on, the government gets goofy. They decide to get involved in stuff they should just stay out of because there aren't any crises to address because everybody's got money. So they get bored and jump into things that they know nothing about, but jump in thinking they're doing a good thing for everyone else. And this is why Republicans, why us conservatives, want to restrain government, why we don't look to government for answers to societal issues, for free market issues. Because when government jumps in, typically common sense goes out the window. So when government starts shrieking about affordable housing and how it somehow can solve the affordable housing issue, run. Don't walk to your voting booth and change the face of government. Because government gone rogue will price you out of your house in a minute under the auspices of making your town or city a better place for all. And it's just absurd. Let me explain. When the late, great Jim DuPont was a Flathead County commissioner and I was the mayor of Kalispell, he and I would have regular meetings driving around the county dump where I had a firsthand glimpse of the good things going on at the county landfill. They do some awesome work at our landfill, and I really like the dump. I found it fascinating as a kid in Great Falls, and I really like looking at what people throw away. I think it's really interesting. Well, having spent several afternoons driving through the dump and debating public policy with Jim DuPont, my appreciation for what happens at the landfill just grew. And in the Flathead, the landfill itself is rapidly growing to keep pace with the population, so much so that it's buying out its neighboring residential lots to clear them for more space to grow. So recognizing this, I started recycling. After all, it's, I think, hard to be conservative and not do my part to conserve space at the landfill. I think of being a conservative with a less is more philosophy in most things. I don't like to see trash on the sides of the roads. And I don't like to pile up junk, which takes away from the beauty of Montana. But you also got to temper this with the fact that I'm pretty lazy. So I actually pay for a pickup service of my recycling. I can afford it and I like doing it. I even ventured into composting until my husband set my compost container on fire. But that's a story for another day. We haul all of our remaining garbage to the dump ourselves. In Flathead County, there's no additional fee to haul our trash to the dump. We pay for the use of the landfill for daily waste on our county tax bills, and it really isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. This keeps our lifestyle costs low, leaving more money in our pockets to pay other expenses that seem to keep climbing in this inflation-dogged economy. The freedom to haul our garbage and recycle of our own volition, though... It's not given to everyone in Montana. In particular, the city of Whitefish now wants to mandate recycling, adding $6.25 to every Whitefish resident's garbage bill per month, regardless of whether they actually recycle. This new fee doesn't even include the additional administration fee the city proposes to add when it takes over billing for garbage and recycling. And of course, this fee is subject to annual rate adjustments every July, and those rate adjustments never seem to go down, only up. 
So now it's more expensive for residents to live in the city of Whitefish. Every resident on a fixed income faces the highest sewer and water rates in the state of Montana. Mandatory garbage pickup through the city's chosen vendor. Now, the city doesn't have its own garbage service. It chooses the vendor that will provide garbage service. And now mandatory recycling with an administrative fee attached. And here's the kicker. The city also mandates what the recycling products are stored in, which amounts to Granny now wheeling around a 96-gallon rollout cart. And it is a misdemeanor criminal infraction to mispackage your recycling. You must make sure it is fully free of all debris. There can be no pizza crumbs, no coffee stains. Everything must be rinsed. And if you place plastic other than the number one and number two containers in the bin. And I will tell you, figuring out what is a number one and a number two is not the easiest thing in the world. Well, if you don't do it right, you get fined for that. So ironically, in its zeal to follow its, quote, climate action plan, the city leaves out the most significant cardboard and milk jug consumers. Who's that? Oh, that's right. Those commercial taxpayers. So it's only the residential forcing granny alone to shoulder the financial burden. So this government mandate, forcing residents to live in the way that the government deems appropriate, adds to the cost of living in Whitefish, a town that has been all over the press with city council concerns about the lack of affordable housing. Yet the same city council adds a mandate that increases the cost of housing. Does that make sense? And they do this under the auspices of making Whitefish a better place to live because they adopted a climate action plan that they must adhere to and apparently supports government-mandated recycling, but apparently only of residents and not the commercial taxpayers who generate the most recyclable material. So they aren't capturing the highest users of recyclable products, just the residents. They get to shoulder the burden and they are increasing the cost of living while telling us that they are addressing the affordable housing crisis. You can't really make up this hypocrisy. And it's not just whitefish that is increasing the cost of living while crying about the lack of affordable housing. Look at Missoula and Bozeman. Missoula has literally written trailer parks out of their zoning regulations, meaning you can't build a trailer park in Missoula anymore. Yet it's buying sheds for the homeless to live in on the taxpayer dime not recognizing that some of those homeless folks used to live in or could afford to live in a trailer in a trailer park. But because trailers are unsightly, they don't get to exist in Missoula. But sheds with no running water or toilets, I guess those really help beautify the city. And Bozeman is interesting. They were so confused by why housing was unaffordable that they commissioned a study paid for with taxpayer dollars to point out what they did as a city council to make housing unaffordable. Your tax dollars spent to tell government how they screwed up. Here's what the study told them. The purpose of this Bozeman affordable housing assessment is to identify changes that the city could make to the Unified Development Code, or UDC, zoning map, and development review process to remove regulatory barriers to the creation of affordable housing. The UDC, Affordable Housing Assessment, is focused around five sets of recommendations. One, create more housing. There are regulations included in the current use tables, form and intensity standards, and project design standards that create barriers to the creation of more housing. 
adjustments to the types of housing permitted in zoning districts, combined with adjustments to required lot areas and maximum building heights, would open up opportunities for the creation of a moderate amount of increased housing in existing neighborhoods and allow the construction of more housing at different densities in new development areas. Number two, preserve existing affordable housing. It is not possible for Bozeman to try to build itself out of the current affordable housing problem through new construction alone. Instead, the city needs to also consider preserving its existing stock of affordable housing, much of which may continue to be available at lower sale prices and rents than the new affordable housing that might replace it. Number three, make development standards more predictable. The UDC is a complex legal document that includes numerous standards intended for application across various different project types. Some of these standards are subjective and repetitive and can be revised and updated for clarity and predictability, particularly as they apply to new development, redevelopment, and infill housing projects. Number four, rethink the housing review process. Bozeman can also revise the UDC to reduce the time, expense, and unpredictability of the housing development application and review process by reducing the amount of detail required for initial or preliminary applications, expanding the use of administrative review, expediting of code interpretations, and using a maximum extent practicable standard for development approval. Number five, revise the zoning map. Finally, there are rezoning actions the city can take that would encourage the creation of more housing in Bozeman. So basically, the consultant was saying to the city, stop making it so complicated to build housing. Every regulation you put in place to regulate the look, the type, and size of housing creates a financial barrier and increases the cost to build. You're over-regulating the housing market. You created this problem, government, and now you, government, are paying more dollars to unring the bell. Every city in Montana should implement the suggestions of the Bozeman Consultants Report. Before they go bitching about developers and builders, they need to look in the mirror and ask, what have we done to create or make this problem worse in the name of preferred lifestyle and beautification? The gentrification of Bozeman and Whitefish and Missoula isn't by race. It's by dollars. They, the city governments, have made it clear that the poor aren't welcome there, that their shabby homes aren't good enough for their community. And then the Missoulas of the world turn around and wonder why they have a homeless population that's off the charts. And then, of course, Missoula decides to end homelessness by implementing more government-subsidized housing paid for by the taxpayers. They created the problem, and then they want to use tax dollars to fix the problem they created. So when you hear Mickey and I hammer on about less government and more freedom and Montana values and Republican values, it's because we see how more government causes less freedom and causes the poor to fall further behind, all the while telling us that government knows best. So what do you folks who are just trying to live the American dream do when you're priced out of the housing market? Honestly, wait. I know it sucks, but here's what's going to happen, folks. 
cities like Bozeman might actually implement the consultant's advice and roll back regulations. Kalispell has. And that provides the freedom to build more housing. When housing outpaces demand, prices fall. And if you wait and you save all those dollars and have more money to put down on a house, you will benefit in the long run. Because with an overheated economy like we have now, the Fed will step in and raise interest rates. They've already promised three interest rate hikes in 2022. And when those rates go up, the price of housing falls. So that $1,200 a month will only buy a $250,000 house when interest rates go to 4 or 5%. And the more cash you have to put down, the less loan you need. And for people who are in a full cash position, well, when prices fall, we benefit. Because we then can actually pay all cash and not worry about interest rates. And then if the government gets out of the way, holy smokes, there will be a fire sale on housing. And for those who wait, those who are patient, well, you will benefit enormously. And those that bought at the top of the market for fear of missing out may lose tremendously unless they stay in their homes for 30 years and are locked into very low long-term interest rates. So if you're not locked into low long-term interest rates now, do it. Because we're never going to see these interest rates again. So be patient and follow my grandma's advice. This too shall pass. Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Consider sponsoring the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at MTValues. Find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.